Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Rebecca Snedeker. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Thanks, Richard. We're recording this in our home, and this is a story of Rebecca who is going through a divorce. She's been divorced about eight and a half months as we're recording. Her husband, um, in the middle of their marriage, their marriage lasted about seven years came out as gay and that marriage has since ended and it's an amicable divorce and they're co-parenting their six-year-old daughter and this is a i think a podcast for those of you that might be the straight spouse or any spouse that's going through a divorce and that is something on wedding day that no one anticipates would happen but is the reality for faithful latter-day saints at times and I think um, Rebecca is going to, it's real vulnerable for her to do this, but our prayer is this will help you. Um, this isn't a podcast where she's going to throw her husband under the bus, her former husband. It's an amicable divorce. I've traded messages with her former husband. He's a good man. And this is just a complicated journey they're both on. But I sense they're doing their best to co-parent and have an amicable divorce. But she's not really going to tell his story. I think she'll tell a little bit, but this is more focusing on Rebecca and sort of the spiritual questioning she went through. Not really a faith crisis, but spiritual questioning probably around this chapter in her life and her marriage ending. Um, Also talk about then the divorce and what that's like. And then talk about therapy. Therapy is a really good thing. I've gone to therapy twice in my life and to use Mormon phrase, I have a testimony of therapy. We need Jesus and a therapist lots of times. It's not a spiritual weakness, um, but it can be incredibly helpful. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Thank you. And uh, professionally, Rebecca is a massage therapist. And I asked Rebecca, because of COVID, my hypothesis, massage therapists are just slammed busy. Will you tell our listeners if that's true or false? It's incredibly true. Like we just cannot keep up. We're constantly trying to hire massage therapists where I work and we just, we can't keep up. Some therapists are booked out till right now, till the end of April, some into May. Like we're, we're, we're super busy. So it's, yeah. And do you think that's why? Well, from Why do you think you're busier than you have been? Well, I've noticed since COVID how... People have realized that that COVID wasn't just a a physical thing that was happening to people. People who are stuck at home were mentally getting stressed out and emotionally lonely. And people have realized through positive touch, such as massage therapy, which is good for many things. It's good for relaxation and de-stressing. And obviously, if you have a pain somewhere, we can help it out. But I think people are realizing how having a safe place to go to that's positive and a very positive touch. It's been amazing for so many people and many people who have never even done massage before now are very faithful at coming very regularly. That's cool. You're healing people through your work. So thank you. I'll just kind of let you take over from here, Rebecca. Go for it. Yeah. So so I was telling Richard when I got here, I I think uh, one of the most important important things I want to relay is just certain aspects of um, his name is Ammon of, of his, of his story. And I don't want to obviously go into it because that is that that's his story to tell. That's his journey. But um, I think the important part is that, like he said, um, we've been divorced for eight and a half months and three years into our marriage is when he realized he was gay. And I know that's very complicated for people. They're like, how can you not know that you were gay or that you didn't understand your sexuality? And it's more common than I think a lot of people think. So for him, when he was a kid, you know, he just had some very traumatic experiences that I guess you could say his, his mentality locked away. His, his mind just locked away. He didn't he didn't know it was there. And growing up, he knew he was a little different, you know, just he was a theater kid and didn't really do much sports. His, um, his dad would take his brother to sports games for one-on-one time and he would take him to go look at houses. And uh, my ex-husband is, he's an architect, so he graduated in that. And so he currently works as a drafter. So he just, he always knew he was a little different. And 
and my father-in-law. And I, and I still call all of my technically ex-in-laws my in-laws because the relationship is still there and the love is still there. So my, um, so my father-in-law has passed away. It's been about five, five and a half years or so. And it was then slowly after his passing that my ex-husband realized something was changing. He was starting to realize things in himself he hadn't known before. And he started to realize he was gay. And I can only imagine how him and others have felt when you grew up thinking you're one thing and realizing that you're not. As he told me, it was very complicated because he he did all the things to try to not be gay. He, he fasted, he went to church, paid tithing very faithfully. He kept every commandment. He did nothing wrong, but yet he was changing and he realized that he he wasn't straight and that he was gay. And he came out to me about a year and a half ago. And after he told me, I encouraged him strongly to to go to therapy, not because I thought it could change who he was, but because he didn't tell anyone for three years that he was gay. He went through that all by himself. And I told him, I was like, why on earth didn't you mention it to anybody? Like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, because I have, I have friends who, are, who aren't straight and part of the LGBTQ community. And he was like, I've, I've always seen you act so positively with them. He's like, but I mean, what, I'm your husband. Like, would you really act the same for me too? And then of course he was happy and surprised that it didn't matter. I still loved him and it didn't change anything, but, but I wanted him to go to therapy so he could know what he wanted. Because when he came out to me, he didn't know if he wanted to make the marriage last and, or if he wanted to end it. When he came out to me, he was just so, so grateful that I didn't run, that I didn't leave him, that I didn't take our daughter and just pack her things and go. He was just grateful that I stayed and I did. And to this day, I, I would have, but of course I realize now that the decision that we came to, to get a divorce was the right decision. But I also know the importance of marrying in the temple. And when you make a commitment to somebody and to somebody who hasn't hurt me, he didn't, he never did anything wrong. Not the way, I guess some people could think, but, but, but when I, I, I definitely would have, but, but I'm grateful we, we did choose what we did because he's doing so much better now. And, and so am I. And I mean, he went through moments where he was even suicidal. And, and that's when I told him, like, you need to go to therapy because I'm not losing you to this. Like, whether it's a best friend, a co-parent, like our daughter, our six-year-old daughter deserves her father. And, and I deserve to have you as, as her dad and as my friend. And that's kind of what's brought us to where we are now. Like sometimes we just don't know those deep aspects of ourselves. Trauma can lock that up. And I'm just grateful we have things like therapy and the gospel to help us through it. There's so much grace in what you've just shared. You've gone through something incredibly difficult. And there's pain and trauma in your own life. But you chose first to just sort of create grace and understanding for your former husband and uh, the reckon and the big picture here that your daughter needs her father alive and in her life and you need this this former husband in your life to some extent and you knew that he would be better everybody would be better off with him alive there's no Release Society lesson or Laura lesson that prepared you for this. <laughs> um, and yet you seem to have, have navigated this really in a thoughtful, um, not rushed way. Um, talk about, I just want you to keep sharing. I have questions that come to mind, but do you just want to keep going? If you ever have a specific question, feel free to ask it, but 
I, I can keep going. So if you did have something, feel free. Well, t- you may get to this, so you can punt this if you want. Sure. But culturally, we really value eternal marriage. This is a temple mm-hmm. marriage, and you're an eternal family. And and so there's a lot of doctrinal pressure, perhaps if the right's word, or cultural pressure, or family pressure to keep a marriage together. And you two seem to have jointly concluded if I'm understanding that it was, it's best that this marriage not stay together. Um, do, you, do you want to talk more about that and just how you're navigating now, now not being, quote, an eternal family? And or if you feel you've let your covenants down or if now you're different or your eternal future is different? Those are deep questions. And they're all questions I have asked myself. Yeah. Um, Yeah, um, I was, so I have a friend on Facebook who's mentioning how she works as a chaplain at a, at a jail and she mentions how she reacts differently to, to things than she ever has before. And I told her in a message, and this is what, how I feel about myself, is how as you grow and learn, it, not only do you change, but your faith changes too. And I realized through this experience, my testimony is strong, but it is not the same. The way I believe things are, are very, they're different, but also not. Um, when it comes to like the, the, the covenants that we made in the temple, I, one of the things I wanted to do before I came was make sure I went to the temple so I could do everything I needed to, to make sure I say whatever it is that I need to. And God wants me to share with others. And just going through the endowment session, I just heard things and, you know, I talk about certain things and I, and I realized how as easy as it is to stay faithful, it's just as easy to fall away. And, and for me, I just, it was more important to stay. And, and I realized during my spiritual questioning that when it comes to the temple, like that's just, it's true. Like all the covenants you make in there are real. And for me, I've, I've never even considered doing anything but keeping those covenants. And so when the opportunity or not the opportunity, I should say the, the time came to keep those covenants or not when it comes to being sealed. Um, I realized that just because I decided to get a divorce doesn't mean I don't believe in eternal marriages because I absolutely do. And which is why I mentioned at the beginning, like I would have done everything that I could to have made it work because I did make that covenant and I, and I made that commitment to him. But I also know that, that God put us on this earth to be happy. And it would have been a very hard marriage if we had stayed together. And I think in many ways, there could have been resentment. There could have been anger. There could have been just a lot of sadness, you know, him trying to make something work that he knew wouldn't and me holding on to something that wasn't there anymore. So it, it, was, it was hard to accept the divorce. I was actually the one that told him that we could. Um, we were up late one night. He was just not okay. One night he was just struggling. And and I just, I remember kind of looking at the window for a minute when Ammon's father passed away when we were driving up to California where he's from. Um, I remember he was driving and I was in the passenger seat and I almost felt prompted just to look out the window. and. I, with every feeling in my body, I, I could feel his dad talking to me, just saying, you got him, right? And I remember just looking out the window and just thinking to myself, like, well, of course, of course I do. And then while he and I were having that conversation, right before the conversation took place, I looked out the window again and I felt him kind of talking to me again, saying, you still have him, right? And even though I knew what was what I was probably about to say in the sense of, yeah, I'm about to probably let him go. But his, I almost felt his dad being like, 
you're not going anywhere, right? Like you're still going to be there for him. And I mean, to this day, we're still sealed. Like, like, like that hasn't been broken. And if I ever get married again, then, you know, that will be a conversation I'll, I'll have with him. But, but I remember just that has been very important in this journey is just feeling like his dad has just been like, I, there's many ways I mess up with him. Like, are you going to help him get through it? And obviously he's not my husband anymore, but he's still my friend and he always will be. And he's a father of my child and he's, he's important. And, and when I told him, if, if we need to do this to where you're okay, then we can know that in my heart, I don't want to lose you. And I don't want to have to divorce you. I was like, but I, but in that moment, I realized two things that the fact that he was having that moment of not knowing what he wanted made me realize he wasn't choosing me. And that was okay because he tried to choose me for three years. And because he tried so hard, it has been impossible for me to hate him. <laughs> like, it is just, I can't do it. There's been moments where I think it would have been easier. Like, but I realized I just can't because he tried so hard. And then the other thing that I realized with that is just if he's struggling so hard to even like get himself to choose, then the marriage just wouldn't have worked anyway. So that was kind of a long answer, but temple covenants are important. And I think I did everything that I could on my end. And I know that he tried so hard. But in the end, I think I think God is just grateful that we put our best foot forward in that and trying to make it work. Really tender stuff, Rebecca. This is complicated. You're very tender. Um, and his father-in-law, I'm sort of talking to you about, I know my son's in a, you can't be a savior, but I know you have an influence on my son. And I also think of, fear-based decisions versus faith-based decisions. And there's a lot of fear of divorce and there's a lot of fear of what will, have I failed and what will our faith community feel about us and our two families. And, and so, and there's faith-based decisions where just the realities of your situation, the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ help you make a faith-based decision, even though in the short term, it may be more difficult. And, and listeners, I, I think if you're in this situation, I think Rebecca and I would say, listen to this story, but don't necessarily make it your story. You've got to pick up the principles in Rebecca and Ammon's story that might be helpful for you if you're kind of in the same situation. Every story is a little different. We're not trying to create one correlated story here. We're trying to uh, brave people step forward and share their story to help you make better decisions. But this seems like the right decision. And uh, it seems like a faith-based decision with the realities of the situation and what was best for both of you and even your long-term friendship. And so I, I, I don't look at this as a failure. I don't look at this as a black mark on your eternal resume. Or this, it's a painful chapter, but it's not a sinful chapter. Yeah. And I don't even know if you want to answer this, but I don't. I don't know if you would go back how you'd handle this if you saw this outcome at the beginning of this marriage. If you ever thought about that, would you have done the marriage? Is that a fair question? When I first went to therapy, um, I had two therapists. So my my therapist I have now was an intern at the time and she had like the director there with her. And she asked her, she's like, would you go back if you knew this was going to happen? I was like, well, absolutely not. Like those seven amazing years of marriage. Like, it wasn't perfect. And, and I realized, you know, why we struggled in certain things was because he was gay. But I was like, but if the gayness was the only thing, like we could have gone to therapy to fix everything else. Like, no, I, I wouldn't have changed any of it because Ammon taught me many things. Like he just, like, I went camping this summer. And I, the only reason I knew everything to bring was because I learned it from him. <laughs> and like, um, the dishwasher, I fill it up a certain way that makes more sense because of him, like just little things like that. And, and I learned the importance of being a true friend because I got to be that friend for him. And no, I mean, and of course we got our daughter, 
and I wouldn't have her without him. So no, no, absolutely not. And I think some people are, are surprised by that answer, but I'm like, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad time. Like it was a good marriage. Like and I know someday I'll have a better one. And that's just because we'll have things that he and I were, didn't have that any good and healthy straight marriage should have. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't like it was, it was a good seven years. It's really? I'm, I didn't know I should ask that question. I didn't know what you'd say, but I love your answer. And I recognize not every couple that's getting divorced could say that, but I think it's wonderful you're able to say that. And I love, I don't know if Ammon's going to listen to this, but that's pretty cool, Ammon, just all the things you taught your wife. And I bet it, if you were on the podcast, you could talk about all the things she's taught you and how you're a better man because of Rebecca's role in your life and how you're both better because this marriage and this wonderful daughter you have, and it's just the reality of your situation right now. But I love ways to find common ground in differences. And even though you're not a married couple now, and you may be in different places with your faith, I don't know. I'm, I don't know where Ammon is now, so we won't really go into where he is with his faith or his future. That you're finding common ground, um, even in differences. So I'll let you just keep sharing your story. Sure. Um. I think um, a big thing that happened is obviously I had some spiritual questioning and I, I, I remember as soon as I started feeling that my, I told my therapist and she was like, you know, Rebecca, but the way you talk about the church always, do you really think like, cause I mentioned how I had a moment where I was thinking about leaving the church. Like it, I didn't get super far into it, but she was like, do you really think you'd be happy with that? Like, not mocking me, but being like, seriously, Rebecca, like, is that something you actually want to do? And I was just like, okay, okay, obviously I don't, but it's like, I would just, again, I, I was, as I mentioned earlier about my friend who's a chaplain, I realized my faith is just changing. And with that, the way I do things is different. Like for instance, um, I was brought up with Sabbath day holy. Just keep it, keep it holy. Like, don't do anything that even makes you think otherwise. And, and I've realized since my divorce that, for instance, for the Sabbath day, like, I still keep it holy. But I also realize mental breaks are just as important as the physical ones. And the only day that our studio at work is closed is on Sundays. And very blessed. Most massage therapy studios are open seven days a week and the busiest days are the weekends. And so the fact we get to be closed on Sunday is a blessing within itself. And the owners are LDS and I, I know they really did push for that. And they almost like, they kind of had to go through a trial, even get that approved. But so when I realized, for instance, that if I wanted to go out to eat on a Sabbath, that it didn't make me a bad member of the church, that was kind of eye opening, And it was just because I'm just changing. Like, and it's not even, I do that every week. It's just, if I feel the need to just have a moment, a break on my day off, or maybe I don't want to sleep in the kitchen and just go get something, it's not the end of the world. And it doesn't mean I don't have a testimony of the church. It's just being okay with my beliefs and choices. And as I was talking to my therapist about this, I'm like, as long as I don't do anything that compromises who I am and the covenants I've made, I think that's what matters. And coming to a place where I stop judging myself about that and other things, it turned my whole life around. It made me just, the idea of even leaving the church just disappeared once I was able to just come to terms with like, for instance, that thing, which it was funny because that was actually the reason why I even started considering it. I was like, if I'm not willing to be so strict in this anymore, how on earth am I going to stay with that with everything else? And, and as soon as I got over that, I was like, that seemed kind of silly, didn't it? <laughs> but, but I'm grateful it happened because, again, my faith is just changing because I've changed in the experiences I have had in my life have changed and 
And that's, that's just important to recognize that it's okay to not be perfect. Like so many people struggle in things in the church and that's okay. No one's going to be perfect. Like, in fact, if I ever get married with someone, I just hope that they're awesome at reading the scriptures because I'm not so great at that either. Like, that's just something like I'll do it, but not as regularly as, as we're asked to do. And, and I hope I can marry someone who is good at that so they can help me be better. And I hope that I'm good at something that maybe they're not so good at so that I can help them. And I think that's the point of a marriage too. And being members of the church is we don't go to church because we're perfect. We go because we're trying to be like Jesus. And so for that reason, like don't judge everyone at church because they believe different than you or their faith is different or stronger in different areas. It's just important that we go and keep trying be who he wants us to be. I love that. That's great. Yeah, keep sharing. Um, and something that I did, I guess that that helped through all of this was I never stopped going to church, even when I had my moment of uncertainty, of questioning, because when it comes down to it with everything that's ever happened in my life, the church has been the one consistent thing. And, you know, some people might not agree with that, with, with how like the teachings are, are the same, but I mean, if you believe in modern revelation, things will change. Things change all the time. And like the age change of the missionaries that happened when I was six months into my mission. And so I, I remember that. And so like things change, but the truths don't just maybe how they're presented or, or how they're acknowledged and how much is, I don't even know. It's just the, the church is, I have come to know for me that the church is true. And it is something I hope that anyone who's uncertain about will, will take the necessary steps to figure it out, whether it's going every week, even if it's hard or, meeting with missionaries, ask the little questions or, or continuing their primary calling to teach the kids because it's just continuing on because the Lord makes promises. And if we keep our end, he will follow through with his. And, and I think that has just been very important as well. And Another thing I did that helped other than obviously keeping with church and remembering the covenants that I've made has just been the importance of a support network, just having people. I I know when a lot of people get married, they tend to just stick with their significant other or other married couples or, but, but in generally it's just kind of like, especially when you get married, just you and your person, which is great. That's amazing to have that time to build it. But I have always felt very prompted to keep my friends close. And I kind of see why. Because um, friends I have had since I was a teenager have been there for me through my divorce. My friends in my first year at BYU-Idaho were there for me. My trainer on my mission sent me one of the most she sent me the most heartfelt Marco Polo when um, my ex-husband came out on Facebook and she cried with me over Marco Polo and she felt everything that I felt and she was there for me and my coworkers, my, my, my best friend at work, she, she literally, uh, we were, I was giving her a massage one day and she kind of heard about what was going on and she sincerely asked she's like are you okay like what can i do to help and having those people has made this divorce 10 times easier than i think it normally would have been because i see people who are divorced who just don't have anybody who didn't give themselves a support group and as great as my family has been through all of it like i do live with my younger sister who has been She's been a rock through this and she also is, is divorced. She's been divorced longer than I have. So she really gets it on that aspect. 
but the importance of having friends and not just family members, like I have realized, I don't think I could have done it without these people. That's great. That's such an important part is to not walk alone. We're not meant to be alone, not meant to go through these things alone. I'm struck with sometimes in a divorce situation, as I'm watching a couple get divorced, I kind of want to find a hero and a villain. (laughs) I kind of want, and sometimes if I connect with the person I know best, part of that connection could potentially be talking how bad their ex-partner is. And you kind of form a bond there, sort of jointly talking about how bad that person is. And that may be true in some situations. So there really is a hero and a villain. And somebody's been unfaithful or somebody's lived a double life or somebody's been abusive or in those sort of situations. But it seems like even though there's real pain about this situation, it seems like you're not trying to make a hero and villain out of this situation. Just two adults that have recognized their pasts are different. And um, I don't know if people around you are trying to make a hero or villain or, or if just, you know, and if that help is helpful at times or if that doesn't resonate with you, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. I definitely have like clients who will ask about it and be like, wow, you're so cool, like for acting the way you have. And then others are like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Like you are just, you're such a good person. And I get, I get a lot of praise. And as awesome as that is, I'm just like, okay, but he tried for three years. Remember that too. He tried for a long time to make it work. And, and I do appreciate the validation, of course. You like need, You need it and deserve <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course I, I do. I, I do appreciate it. But, and I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to start the podcast off the way I did. Making sure people understood that he didn't know that he was gay. And he did. He never lied to me. I mean, yeah, he kind of kept it from me for three years. But it wasn't with the intent of malice, it was the intent of trying to make it work anyway. And, and maybe some people can say I'm like justifying it, but that's up to them. To me, that's just not how I see it. And that that's more important than anyone else's opinion. And, and some people have, um, yeah, I've, I've had clients and I've had friends be like, how are you like really okay with this? Like, you're such a saint. I'm like, he's not a bad person, guys. He just, it's just kind of unfortunate with how he came to realize who he was because I mean, I can't even imagine. It's almost like having an identity crisis, realizing you're one thing when you thought you were something else. So I don't know. It's just, it's like you said, there is no hero villain thing. I mean, it was hard for me and it was hard for him. And luckily at the end of it all, we're, we're both good and we're both happy. So I like that. I wrote in my book um, a little bit about this is that I try not to sort of when a marriage ends, I try not to sort of I just recognize that both people, if I know both people need love and support. And my job is not to sort of dissect the marriage and figure out who was most at fault or what really happened here. That just takes emotional capital or time or energy in my mind, listeners. And keeps me from helping people that need to be helped. It's probably none of my business to try to judge who's the most at fault in a marriage anyway. Um, But you show an incredible tone of grace. And I think an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and just the complexities of his road. And at the same time, you take self-care for your road. (laughs) And you've gone to therapy and you recognize that even though you're aware of the complexities of your former husband's road, that you're also taking care of yourself and going to therapy and and needing a support group because even this is a big deal to go through a divorce. So I think you're doing a good job kind of navigating the complexity of this. Definitely trying. And I, to this day, I still go to therapy. I, I started going a month or two or so after he came out to me and I was going every week. Now it's more like every other week, depending on the month. It's if I'm super busy, it's once. But in general, I am still going every other week. And I think that's why I am afloat, I guess you could say, and grounded is because I, I realize 
yes, I'm doing great, but there's a reason I'm doing great. It's because I keep going to church and I keep going to therapy. And in order for, for instance, therapy to work is to show up and be willing to be vulnerable, be willing to talk about those deep things that you just don't want to half the time and be willing to receive correction and instruction, which in in, in general therapists don't do, but they can help you see that for yourself on things that you can improve. They'll ask you the right questions, which in turn will make you ask things about yourself. And, and that has been quite eye-opening. It makes me think of the, um, the Mormon message about the, the current Bush. Um, I remember when I first watched that, I was on my mission. I was in my second area and we were at the library, you know, just doing our weekly emails. And I have never related to that Mormon message so much until this happened in my life. And I have felt myself that way. I'm like, gosh, I am being cut down so badly. Um, I was, we were becoming something that we thought we wanted to be. We, you know, being married and eternal marriage and, we thought that's what we were supposed to be doing. And then I felt very cut down. The fact that I wasn't able to keep that. And neither was he. But I can see now the way I've been cut down. Has, I was cut correctly. <laughs> I, was, I was cut in a way to where I have grown so much. I am, my self-confidence is ridiculous now. Like. I didn't realize how low it was before until I started going to therapy and my coworkers are like, Rebecca, you are not the same person you were before your divorce. And I'm just like, what do you mean? They're like, you walk around here with your head held high when people like you would just bury it in a hole. They're like, you're, you're okay. Like, I think I surprise my coworkers sometimes at just how okay I am in general. I mean, of course, I still have my moments where I'm just like, wow, this is kind of lonely. This single parent thing. The hardest thing from this divorce has been the single parent thing. That has been extremely difficult. And even though we co-parent, it's just not having that person there with you all the time to help. Extremely difficult. So I just, I just don't know how I could have done it without the church and without therapy and the support group. and being able to think through it all positively and negatively, but just being able to see both sides, but realizing how there just isn't enough time to be negative. Like life is short and God gives us a certain amount of time to be here. And I think it's more important to just look ahead positively. What is, um, where did you serve your mission? Minnesota. Spanish-speaking. Spanish-speaking Minnesota. You know, we've never talked about the current bush on this podcast, as far as I can remember. That is a powerful visual imagery, powerful talk um, that has stayed with us in our in LDS culture for a long time. I love the way that you look at this whole experience as positive and recognize the gifts that have come into your life through this process. And I like the way you've earlier, you talked, you said the word next marriage. So you sort of infer that's something you hope for. And um, correct me if I misspeak, but I think this marriage makes you better for your next marriage. When I was a YSA bishop talking to the youth dating, I, we would often talk about breakups and difficult situations. And I would we'd kind of conclude that that would just help them for their next relationship. And even though this is different because it's a marriage that ended, I think, and I remember dating divorced women in my twenties, a couple divorced women. And I was stunned with just how mature, authentic, real, vulnerable. And that's sort of the reality of their life. It just, I didn't marry a divorced woman, but 
Um, this is me speaking to divorced people that maybe think some of the cultural things we say about divorced people are how we sometimes look. I think, I think you'll make a terrific, you know, you'll have a terrific next marriage. And I think whoever marries you will look at this marriage the way you do as positive. And the current book, current Bush type of thinking that this has made you a competent, better um, person that deserves a really good partner. Are you okay with all that? Yeah. Yeah. My uh, last time or a couple of times ago, about about a year ago when I saw my brother-in-law, I once a year, a couple of times each year, I go do sporting events in Boise, Idaho. And, you know, just to, to learn more stuff. It's my niche. I love the sports aspect of massage. And when I was there, he uh, pulled me aside He's also a therapist, gave me a little therapy session. And then at the end, he gave me a blessing. And in that, he said, you know, he, he told me I'd get married again. And I'm okay with it taking its time. And I do hope, you know, I, I am able to get married again someday. And, and I do know there's a lot of things I sucked at when I was married, um, especially being open and willing to tell him that things are bothering me. But I think it's because I could feel him not being open with me about something. So it was, it was a little hard. And so, but you know, now I know why and it's, it's fine, but, um, but yeah, I think there's many things I think I will do a better job at because I have been married before and, and I've seen how not doing those things caused issues or could have caused more issues. And, and I'm just grateful. I was able just to see that within myself on things that I can do better whenever that next time is. I like that. I, I wrote down an impression that came to mind as a, a future reunion, like in, you're young in 60, 70 years with your father-in-law. I don't know what his first name is. Name was William. He went by Bill. Bill and you, and he may talk to you about that that drive and his presence in that drive and your role with them and as he was coming out. And you knew he was suicidal, it sounds like, and in a really dark, deep spot and, and staying involved in his life during that key time to help him and get what I sense now is in a better spot. But I think you were managing a lot of things at the same time, but also recognizing your former husband's emotional health was in a tough spot. Before we went live, listeners, I recognize that I've been trading messages with your former husband a little bit. And just as he was coming out and needing support, and I just sense a really good man trying to do the best he could do in a very difficult road. And, and I think you've done a really good job. And I think there's people on the other side of the veil that are aware of what you've done to help one of Heavenly Father's sons in a difficult spot and that you didn't make him the villain. And you've just recognized the reality of the situation. I think that's good for your six-year-old daughter. Is that I don't, it's just that I think kids are pretty resilient and I think she's going to be okay. And Maybe if she were on the podcast at age 45, she'd talk about just this part of her life and, and maybe some of the blessings that have come into her life because of this experience and having a gay dad and a straight mom and just the realities of that. She doesn't understand that right now, but eventually will. I don't want to get too far out there and projecting, but maybe just, you know, her understanding of the world and just her ability to... Um, relate to people and help people and just have more empathy and compassion and understanding. I don't know. He's only six, so I don't want to go too now far down that road. Emma and I have talked about that quite a bit, about how we hope she's the most diverse child in the world or in Utah, whatever. Just that we hope she is because we realize she's going to have a parent who's going to be very active in the church and one who's not. And, and, and I'm very aware that because of that, she might not stay a member of the church. And yeah, that, that's a little hard to recognize, but I mean, my best friend isn't a member of the church. And many of my really good friends absolutely are. 
it, it doesn't, be, being a member of the church doesn't define who you are by any means. I think being a member of the church is, is a blessing, absolutely, because of the truths that we do have, the truths that I believe in, the members of the church believe to be true. But I, I know Corina is her name. She's going to be just fine. She will be fine with whatever she chooses. And, and I know that the Lord will be very understanding to her, to Ammon, to every LDS person who's made a dumb mistake. Like things aren't black and white. They're very, they're, they're a rainbow. They really are. And as someone else on your podcast said that once, and I'm just reiterating what they said. <laughs> and it's true. And especially in situations like this, like all we can do is do the best that we can. And I think God will happily step in and take care of the rest. Like the spirit world is, is there for a reason so that we can have that second chance and be able to learn everything else that we need to. How do you handle just the eternities? Some people just in your situation would say, you know, my dreams when I flew home from my mission after serving a year and a half and kind of my hopes for a husband and children and all, and all of us being in the church together as an eternal family. And now the realities of my life are very different than that. And, and obviously your mortal mortality has changed from what you hope to be. But some people think would conclude also my eternal hopes of change. You know, I've got, I don't know how this is going to work and will we be an eternal family and will I have a partner and will my kids be with me and I remarry. And sometimes that can be really heavy on people um, as they not only process their mortality realities of going through a divorce, but the eternal sort of layering of that can often just be overwhelming. Any thoughts for listeners that may be walking that same road and just are trying to navigate that in their lives? I wish I had something super cool to say about this one. <laughs> I, since I was a kid, I have just always believed and known that the church was true. And I mean, of course, I have my moments where I ask really hard, deep questions and things like what you mentioned, but. Is it, is it bad just to say that faith was just kind of what it was? <laughs> like, I mean, obviously it's not bad to say, but I don't have an elaborate answer for that one. Just is, is there pain associated with that eternal hopes or do you just have faith that you're not worried about that because you just have faith that loving heavenly parents will, you know, have a plan in place even for you? There is a time where in, in therapy, I. Uh, mentioned how, and even mentioned this to like people, like if I get remarried, it's, I'm not going to do a temple marriage just in case Ammon changed his mind. <laughs> um, because the idea of it, of me ever breaking the ceiling was very painful. Um, but I also realized with that, that that wouldn't be fair to anybody that I, potentially married to, or if I intentionally married, say not a non-member, just with that in the back of my mind. And my sister made a good point. She's like, would you even love them if you did that? I was like, good point. Um, so in, in regards to that, yeah, it was pretty painful and it was complicated. But other than that, it was mostly just sad. And I, I had moments of anger, but they didn't linger. and. It was very painful with how sad I got, but in general, no, my faith and trust in the Lord has, I think, kept a lot of that at bay, has kept a lot of those negative feelings at bay. That's great. Talk about your ward. I don't know if you've stayed in the same ward or moved, and I don't know. This is advice that you would give to ward members. So here's a member of the ward that's going through a divorce. There's cousins come out as gay. It could be kind of like big talk in the ward. And just talk about that. We need to just things that were helpful or not helpful 
I think I am in the best ward in Utah. Way to go. I, oh my goodness. I can't even begin to explain. I haven't heard a single negative thing said about him from anybody at church. About him, you said? Or? Yeah, nothing. I've heard absolutely nothing. And that's all I could have hoped for. My ward has been amazing. Um, when he did come out, my bishop called me, you know, checked to see how I was. And he called him too. Ammon was in a hard place and he never answered the phone, but he heard the the voicemail that our bishop left and it was very loving and caring. And I listened to it too. He was basically just saying like, hey, I'm so sorry about what's going on. Know that we love you and we're here for you and you're always welcome. Like, don't feel like you can't come. And uh, the Relief Society president at the time was always being like, oh my gosh, it must've been so hard for you too. Like, that, that's how she responded. She never said, oh, that's too bad. Or gosh, that sucks. She was just like, I can't imagine how hard that was. Are you guys okay? Is there anything we can do for you? <laughs> Other members have just been like, Rebecca, how are you? Like, how, like, are you okay? Like, is, are you doing okay with, with do you, doing do you things like, by yourself? Do you like them asking? They ask the right way. They don't ask condescendingly. And for that reason, yes. If there is malice or rudeness or just inconsideration, I would not appreciate it. But there hasn't been an inkling of that. And I feel almost spoiled because I've, I've heard people on your podcast who've been like, who've had very negative feelings. And that has not been the case for me. Like, I wish I could just walk people through a ward and be like, just be like them, guys. Like, just have the the kindness and the charity and you know, if they have had negative comments, they've kept it to themselves. And that's okay too, <laughs> because nobody's perfect. So if, if there have been negative thoughts, I've just never heard anything close to it. And that has been, I, I can't say enough about how grateful I am that people have been so good to us about it. And especially to him, just not saying anything mean at all. And this is a word in Harriman. I don't know if I mentioned where Harriman you live. Harriman Fourth Word. Harriman Fourth Word. <laughs> um, way to go, Harriman Fourth Word. I, I'm interested in some of the language you use. You said this must be hard for the two of you. And some of those comments that are directed at you had both of you in there. Mm-hmm. And I that's very intuitive. Um, and sort of back to this, sometimes we want to find a hero and a villain. And mm-hmm. we think we're doing you a favor if we say bad things about your your soon-to-be former husband, if that's a way of mourning and bearing comfort. But I think we shouldn't make that assumption. I think I like, this must be hard for the two of you and just the nuance to recognize this isn't easy for either of you. And I love the bishop um, calling both of you. And I love what he said to both of you. That's really thoughtful ministering that went on in the Harriman Fourth Ward and continues to go on. Yeah, absolutely. And even though I'm not sure Ammon responded to the bishop, I bet that stuck in his brain and is helpful for him as he's moving forward. I think so. Because when Corina had her primary program, Ammon came. He came to it. And it was good. Like, there were a couple members that came and said hi to him and recognized him and shook his hand. And it was, it was good. So I think at least he knows in our ward it's a, it's safe. Like he, you know, he doesn't come anymore, but, but he'll come for our kid to support her and what she's doing. And so I, I would like to think it is at least as of right now. So I just think that's great um, to welcome and to sort of be aware that for someone coming back for a daughter's program, that could be a difficult day or it could be some anxiety walking through mm-hmm. the door and the members that just shook his hand and welcomed him and on this day and in your grace to want him there. And um, you got a really good heart. Grace is the, one of the best words I can describe you and one of your Christ-like gifts. Talk about, you probably, this is an okay, I ask kind of hard questions, <laughs> um, but sometimes people need to hear your thoughts on these questions if you're okay. So, you probably prayed to marry this guy. 
And you've probably got some sort of a confirmation that he was the right guy to marry. And sometimes for people then that things don't work out, you're sort of like, God, why didn't you warn me? Um, you knew he was gay and he didn't know he was, didn't quite understand that. And you would have saved a lot of pain and trauma if you just had warned me. Do you go down that road? And if you do, how do you reconcile that? So I actually met Ammon on our mission. We met. He was an English missionary and I was Spanish. We actually served in the same area for like eight months in West St. Paul. And when I first met him, I totally thought he was bi, which is incredibly ironic. <laughs> um, but I mean, the more I get, got to know him, I was just like, oh no, he doesn't act anything remotely, like other than like having some mannerisms and, and um, things like that. I mean, like, that was, I guess, the only potential prompting that I, or not prompting, but, you know, just clue, you know, that, that, you know, he wasn't straight. Um, remind me what the second half of your question was. Just did you kind of get angry? Did you get angry at God or wonder why didn't, why didn't you warn me? Or maybe the answer you got to Mary was the right answer. And right. even though God knew this would, and I'm, and maybe I'm assuming that God would know this is going to happen because mm-hmm. we can't surprise God. Yeah. But he allowed it to happen as part of the current Bush analogy for both mm-hmm. of you. I don't know how you, if you. Yeah. So I, I guess with like me kind of wondering, I, I wonder if that was him being considerate, being like, hey, I'm not, like, just, just so you know, like, keep this thought in your mind because the, the last year, within our marriage, I kind of suspected by that point that maybe he wasn't at least straight because an intimacy level is low. You, you wonder when every, when, when I ask him everything else and nothing adds up, it's like, well, what else could it be at this point? But, but no, I, I mean, yeah, I had a moment where I remember I dropped my daughter off at preschool and I was driving home I let out a big scream in my car. I don't even know what it was. I just had so much emotion inside me. It was the only way it could come out. In that moment, I was very angry. But I couldn't decide who I was angry at. If I was actually angry at Ammon or if I was angry at God or if I was just mad that Satan had snuck in so much to where I guess he allowed me to feel so much anger. It was a very complicated moment. But... And I had a couple of those. Kind of grateful they were always when I was by myself <laughs> because I, the the dark feelings that I had were very intense, but they never lingered long, which is what I was grateful for. So yeah, I, I had moments like that, but I've never been mad at God because I am very aware that the things that happen to us in this life are things that we agreed to. So if anything, I should be mad at myself. Like, why the heck did you agree to that? <laughs> But it's because I knew that as long as I kept God close by, that I knew I could handle it. And I try to remember that too. The phrase that they say, God will never put you through anything you can't handle. I think the proper phrase, and I've talked to one of my old coworkers about this, is how God will never give you anything you can't handle without him. We can't do it without him. And, and so for that reason, I, I never really truly got mad at Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, because they never left me alone through all of this either. Yeah, they allowed me to meet him and to marry him. And I believe I did receive a prompting that he was the one I was supposed to marry. And so there's reason for it. And I have faith in that. And even if it's just me having an amazing friend in my life or that I can be that amazing friend for him, really good solid friends are hard to come by and if i mean i guess if that's all i get out of it which isn't but you know to say if that were it i can't have complaints about that other thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners i know the church is true and I have a testimony of it. And I know Joseph Smith was a prophet and that he did restore the gospel. 
And it was through him that I am where I am. I remember when I was in the MTC, how I, I felt like the adversary was trying to get me so badly. It was when we were learning about the restoration and it wasn't particularly working, but I could feel him really nagging, trying to get me to not believe. Because I say, if you don't believe in Joseph Smith, you can't believe in anything else. And I do. I, I know he was the prophet that restored the fullness of the gospel. And because of that, I'm able to, I'm able to be who I am. People say, are you sure you're just not t- handling this the way that you are just because it's the, who you are? I'm like, yeah, but why am I the way that I am? Like, it's because the church molded me and I let it mold me into who I am. And, and yes, you know, I, it's also up to me and if I let it, but I did because I know it's true. There's, there's many things that could influence me that I'm just like, nah, <laughs> I don't want that. Don't want the negativity. And I don't want things that make me feel hurt and anger. I mean, the church can obviously make you question things. And I, you, you did a post not too long ago about how it's okay to ask the hard questions because it is. And I think that's part of the reason why I still have a testimony is because I've asked the hard questions and it's okay to ask those hard questions. Sometimes those hard questions involve how the church came to be and it's okay to ask them. Just know where you are and commit to it. If you believe the church is true, just keep doing things to keep it there. I love your testimony. I join with you in sharing a similar testimony. I love the beautiful, unique, restored doctrine that came through the prophet Joseph Smith that's unique to our church that provides hope and healing, heavenly parents, a savior, Book of Mormon that brings me to Christ, the priesthood. And I have to think this foundation that you have has given you the sort of the rock foundation to navigate this. I think it's great you screamed and yelled in the car. I think God can handle that and anger and pain. There's so much pain here that it would be a normal thing to show some anger and some emotion. I think you've done a really good job with navigating this with grace and being authentic and being honest and wanting to do your very best to keep um, relationships as possible. And I think we both recognize that not every divorce is going to be able to be amicable. Um, and so it's hard to do that. It takes both partners that are willing to do that. And, and every, every marriage that ends is different. Um, but I think you lay down principles that if both parties are willing to follow that keeps friendships and things intact and, and an understanding of why the marriage is ending. Um, I love your role just to be an emotional safe spot. Um, your former husband and just your father-in-law sort of talking to you. That's pretty tender. Um, this is a great podcast, listeners. Um, I think our hope is that um, if this is the reality of your life, if you're gay or straight, either, and um, we've done a lot of podcasts where marriages are able to stay together. We've done a lot of podcasts where marriages aren't. Every story's a little bit different. I think what we both say is you've got to figure out the best story for your marriage if it's a marriage that is kind of deciding it's going to stay together or not i'd invite you to go slow go to therapy not rush a decision um and do the very best you can to just figure out the very best path for the two of you as you're making your way forward whether that's together or not together any thoughts to any couples that are just in this very space? You've done so much good. I don't know if you've got any other thoughts. If there's a couple <laughs> just listening saying, is this going to be our story? Yeah. You had um, 
Jessica and Matt? Yeah. Can't yes, rem- I know. I feel bad. I can't remember. The I other can't remember. Theme, but that them, like, that's what gave me hope that things could be okay. And they, um, yeah, we had them, Jessica too. And they've done a pod, they've Gosh. started a podcast. Yeah, I follow them on Instagram. I haven't listened to any of their podcasts yet. But she uh-huh. had a gay husband and their marriage ended and she married a straight guy and mm-hmm. they're active in the church and they have a great relationship with her yeah. former husband. All mm-hmm. both of them do. Yeah. And they do this podcast together and they're often Is it called husband in law? I think it's called husband in law. <laughs> so. And um their story's unique. Not everybody can do that, but there is some beauty in that is that they've just recognized the realities of where they are and they said we're gonna try to Yeah. Um do the best we can to just be friends. And mm-hmm. especially if I don't know how many children they have, but there's some children involved there. Yeah, I think maybe it's just the one daughter. Maybe I, it's just I, the one. I think so. Um, but that's oh my goodness. That when I listened to that podcast, I knew that our marriage wasn't going to work. That was almost like a flash of light. I was like, oh, it's not going to. I was like, but doesn't have to be the end of the world. Like this, this can be what can happen to us. Like we can, we can divorce and we could be okay. Uh, yeah. I just, that, 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 that was, that was a blessing. I'm very, very grateful you had them on the show because that has been very key for us. He and I talked to him and I talked about it. We're like, if it doesn't work, this is what we need to do. Like we need to be like them. And that, yeah, we, we, we were trying to be like them. So I like stories like that. I don't think it increases the likelihood of divorce, but I think it gives hope that this is another a path forward. I love things that give hope. And I love the hope it gave you where this is this, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're doing doesn't sound like it's sustainable, but we can do this. And that seems like it's sustainable. And it seems like it's not divisive and it's not going to bring anger and hatred and division to either of us and especially to our child. And that's a way forward. I like things that bring a way forward without dividing us. Well, listeners, we'll let you go. This is Rebecca Snedeger, S-C-N-D-E-G-A-R. S-N-E-D-E-G-A-R, yes. And you can find her on Facebook. We'll tag Rebecca and the in the podcast notes in case you want to connect with Rebecca and, and sometimes my podcast guests become mentors to you um, because they're walking a road that you're walking. You need somebody to kind of walk that road with you. And so um, for all those that are listening in either family, um, I think this is a podcast is a credit to both of your families. Um, In Ammon's family, Rebecca's family or in the ward or just, it's a podcast. Of, it's a story about unity and diversity. Elder Cook talks about, you know, sometimes it's easier to have unity and sameness, but it's, I think unity and diversity is what we're really trying for right now in the world. There's so much divisiveness. There's so many lines that can be drawn. And some of those sort of, it's hard to undraw those, but some, if we really think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can undraw those lines and find unity and diversity and still find common goals like parenting a child and being friends that finds common ground, even though there's differences. So with that, we'll sign off listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>